Amen. Oh. oh, I don't want that to end. That's good stuff. I, I told Nicole while she was practicing, I said, you're not going to believe how well the songs you chose goes with the passage I'm going to share even before we get started tonight. I mean, that was amazing. And even with the passage we're going to be looking at tonight, Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10. Before we get into the message tonight, just a reminder, next Wednesday is our Pi Fellowship, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. If you're uh, wanting to bring a pie, please contact Amanda Mason so we can coordinate the uh, number of pies and the kind of pies we're going to be having next week. And if any of you can help come a little bit early and set up and also maybe tear down and clean up a little bit after that, that would be great. And speaking of setting up, the Friday after Thanksgiving, uh, 8.30, I believe, in the morning, uh, Marty Varnes is heading up a group of people here to put up our Christmas decorations for the uh, holiday season. Uh, any of you men and women that could help out that day for a few hours, uh, she's hoping to have enough help to get it done by lunchtime. Uh, and that's pretty much been the case the last couple of years. And then gals, don't forget about the Christmas dinner, right, Marsha? Yep. And that's the first Thursday in December, yes. right? Please sign up for that online, gals, if you haven't already done so. We're at a point in the story of Exodus where everything is coming to a head. Tensions are rising. God has already poured out seven plagues upon the Egyptians. And yes, in one sense, they are his judgment, but in another sense, they are also his acts of mercy because he is giving Pharaoh many opportunities to truly repent and change his heart and come to him and humble himself before him, but he's not. And God even told him through Moses last week, I could have been done with you from the very beginning, but I've allowed you to stay in power and stand so that my glory can be manifested, not only to the Egyptians, but also to the Israelites, and we're going to see that tonight. Now, tonight in this passage, we again have several things that we have been seeing throughout this section of Exodus that's sort of the deliverance section where God is taking them from bondage and going to deliver them. But there's some new things tonight as well that we really want to focus on. And so I want to just go ahead and dive into it tonight. First, again, I want to repeat this phrase that you see throughout these chapters in Exodus about the Lord clearly communicating and leading and directing Moses. In verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, he is directing Moses through his word. Then verse 12, the Lord said to Moses. Verse 21, the Lord said to Moses. Over and over again in this section, you see God leading Moses by his word. Moses isn't having to grope for what to say to Pharaoh or what to do. God is giving him direction and leadership and God will do the same thing with us if we follow him and turn to him 
He will give us direction through his voice, through his word, through his spirit, through, through all kinds of channels. God will make his, his way and his will known to us, and we can be confident in that. But then notice, it says, The Lord said to Moses, chapter 10, verse 1, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, meaning God is simply confirming what Pharaoh's already done. Pharaoh has hardened his heart against God, and God is confirming it. Therefore, he's removing his restraint and allowing Pharaoh to go full bore into his rebellion against God. I, I want us to think about that for a moment because it has application to even today. Do, do you realize then what, what we're learning here is that even with the wicked, even with those who are not his followers, God is always restraining them or it would even be worse? So imagine... Okay, M many folks today think it's really bad right now, right? God has not removed his restraint. And that's what makes the tribulation period so awful because when the church is raptured and the Holy Spirit is no longer present through the church, God, in a sense, does in those seven years what he's doing to Pharaoh. He's completely removing all restraint, and human beings are just going to do whatever they want to do with no restraint from God. Right now, he's holding them back from being even worse than what they want to be or could be. Think about that. And that's what we see happening here to Pharaoh. But notice God has a purpose for this. In verse 1, in order to display these signs of mine before him, my manifestations of my presence and power, my greatness and glory, he's going to have clear evidence that I am real, that I am the only true God, that he's not a God, that all these idols of the Egyptians are not gods, they are simply lifeless idols. I am the one true God of the universe and I am manifesting myself and giving evidence after evidence after evidence. But what I want us to see tonight is that here is where God clearly says, I'm not just giving evidence to the Egyptians. I'm giving evidence to my own people and there's a purpose behind it. I want my people to see me active, working, moving, doing supernatural things, doing miracles, so that they have all of these stories of me in their hip pocket. And throughout their life, then they will be responsible to pass them on to the next generations. And to anyone who listen to the stories of God. So he says in verse 2, And in order that, in the hearing of your son and your grandson, you may tell how I made fools of the Egyptians and about my signs that I displayed among them, so that you may know that I am the Lord. Wow. See, God wants us to know him 
and experience him and engage with him, not only so that we can gain knowledge of him, but so that we then have great stories about him to be able to pass on, to relate, to recount, to tell. I, I, I wrote or I underlined in my Bible these six words from verse 2, in order that you may tell. In order that you may tell. That is all of our responsibility, not just the people of God in the Old Testament, but us today. It is we experience God in order that we tell. Now, obviously, as I've said before, not everything that God reveals to us is for somebody else. Sometimes God reveals something to us or speaks to us, and it's just between us and him, and he wants us to keep it there. But there is so much more that God is doing in our midst and even in our lives that he wants us to use to be able to pass on to others. And yes, obviously, it starts in the home. It starts with our children and our grandchildren, but it doesn't stop there. It, it can move on to, like today, to apply it to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to share testimonies about what God is, has done for each of us in our lives, to share with unbelievers that are willing to listen, to share with anybody. God does it in order that we may tell. This purpose was actually, as we're going to see in just a couple chapters, was actually baked in to the Passover feast. They're, they're doing all the, the Passover uh, things, and, and God even says, now when the children ask, Dad or Mom, what's this mean? Or why are we doing this? You then have this story that you can share. Of, this is why we eat the bitter herbs. And, and this is why we roast the, the, you know, the animal. And, and this is why we do these things. And they're all symbolic and they all have a meaning to them. And God wants us to know these things so that we can pass them on to others especially at this time of year, but it should be all year long. I want to encourage all of us to take the opportunity in these next six weeks that we have left in this year to pause and think about what are some stories that God has written and done in my life or for my life or with my life that would be such an encouragement and then begin to pray and ask God, God, who is it that you would want me to share that with? Who, who would be a person that, that God, you would lead me to or maybe, maybe it's just going to come out of the blue. One day, you know, I'll be out there doing something and, and you'll bring somebody into my midst and it'll give me the opportunity to share how great you are with them because I can relate a story of, of, of your greatness and your graciousness and your provision and, and your fulfilling of your promises or something to them, and it will be an encouragement to them. That's what God is saying here. He doesn't just do these things and then wants it to, us to leave it there. In fact, this coming Sunday, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's table. And what does Jesus even say when he instituted this? Do this in remembrance of me. Remember always what I have done and pass that on to others. That should be true of our 
walk with God always. That whatever great things, whatever displays of his power and provision and and grace and mercy and love that he does, many times he does these things not only for us and our sakes, but in order that we may tell, we may praise him, we may proclaim him. These are things that can stir our worship personally and corporately and things that also can inspire our witness, our worship and our witness all simply because we didn't forget God. We remembered him, and we sung about that, recalling the Lord. So that's one of the big things that we see here in chapter 10 that's sort of new, is that God didn't just do these things to give evidence to the Egyptians. He also did these things as evidence to his own people that they would worship him and that they would witness for him. Verse 3. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and told him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long do you refuse to humble yourself before me and bow down? Now think about the courage that that took. You're going to the most powerful person in the world and you're basically telling him, you need to humble yourself. You're too proud. You know, in those days, just like, I mean, you know, Pharaoh lopped your, your head off. You know, that'd be like going to a Roman emperor and saying, you know, You need to humble yourself, you know. But that was the courage that came from the Lord. And that was Pharaoh's problem. When you get right down to it, the problem with Pharaoh was pride. That was it. He would never truly humble himself. When he called for Moses to to change the circumstances that, that he found himself in because of the plague, it was only to bring relief. There was no real repentance or change of heart in Pharaoh, as we talked about last week. Release my people so that they may serve me. And again, I want to point out that that word serve is an Old Testament word that means worship as well. To worship God through service. That is one of the significant ways that we worship God is through our service. But if you refuse... I'm going to bring some locusts. And those locusts are going to be everywhere. Verse 6, they're going to fill your houses. Uh, They're going to be everywhere in the land. And you're never going to see a day like this. Never have and never will. And Moses then turned and went out from Pharaoh, verse 6. And Pharaoh's servant said to him, how long will this man be a menace to us? Release his people so they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not know that Egypt is destroyed? His own advisors are saying, you realize, Pharaoh, because you're not humbling yourself, that this nation of Egypt is perishing. We are losing ourselves because of your lack of humility. Our nation is crumbling under the the pressure and judgment of this God. Release these people. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh and he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. Exactly, who is going with you? Did you ever notice that Pharaoh's, he's always wanting to be the negotiator, you know, sort of the manipulator. Like he he never really wants to relinquish control because he thinks he's still in control after he's seen all this evidence of the Lord God. And I love Moses' response. 
Moses said, oh, we will go with our young and our old, our sons, our daughters, our sheep, our cattle. We're all going. Everyone and everything is going. No one's staying behind. I love that. Basically, that's the way it should be today. We're all in this together. And we either all go or none of us go. But God wants us as a community of believers. He wants us all to be unified in moving in the same direction and moving forward with God. He doesn't want to leave anybody behind. Just as Moses didn't want to leave anybody behind in Egypt. We're all going. That's the way God wants it. Everyone is included. Everyone. I want to see everyone moving out. You see, so he would not compromise. And then I love this. He says, we are to hold, end of verse 9, a pilgrim feast for the Lord, a gathering to celebrate the Lord with feasting, singing, and dancing. That's what the word in the Hebrew means. That's a pretty good combination. Feasting, singing, and dancing. To celebrate God, because God should be celebrated. He's the one who brought life to these people. He's the one who's preserved these people. And he's the one that's going to deliver these people. We could say the same thing. That's why we should always be anxious to gather together and celebrate our God. Because without him, we wouldn't be here. Without him, we wouldn't be sustained every day. And without him, we certainly wouldn't be saved and headed to a a, a glorious eternity. It's all because of him. He deserves to be celebrated and magnified. Let God be magnified. Verse 10, he said to them, the Lord will need to be with you. I love this. Pharaoh's like threatening them. Well, the Lord's going to need to be with you if I release you and your dependents. Watch out. Trouble's right in front of you. No. Pharaoh says, no. Go, you men only, and serve the Lord, for the women and children will be my hostages. I'm going to keep them so that you'll come back. See, Pharaoh still, th- he, he still hasn't humbled himself, has he? Still, still thinks he's in, still thinks somehow there's negotiation going on. There's no negotiation. God's going to deliver every single Israelite from bondage in Egypt. They're all gone. So the Lord said to Moses, extend your hand over the land of Egypt, and here come the locusts. And that morning, verse 14, the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, settled down in all the territory of Egypt. It was very severe. It means to be heavy, to be burdensome. There's never been a locust plague like this before, and there never will be again. They covered the surface of all the ground. The ground became dark with them. They ate all the vegetation of the ground, all the fruit of the trees, that the hail had left, nothing green remained on the trees or on anything that grew in the field throughout the whole land of Egypt. I mean, how devastating a plague. Everywhere you, you stepped, you stepped on locusts. They covered the ground. They ate everything. There was nothing left. Total devastation. And so Pharaoh is now frantic and beginning to panic, and he's becoming more and more acquainted with this God. He quickly summons Moses and Aaron and says, I've sinned against the Lord your God. Forgive me this time only and pray to the Lord your God that he would take away this death from me. Moses went out from Pharaoh. He prayed and the Lord turned 
this wind and picked up the locusts, blew them into the sea, and no locusts remained in all the territory of Egypt. Uh, but once again, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not release the Israelites. So now that the plague of locusts was over, unannounced, here comes the plague of darkness. And here's what I want us to see, first of all, about this plague. The Lord said to Moses, verse 21, extend your hand toward heaven so that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Don't miss this phrase. A darkness so thick it can be felt. It can be sensed. It can be perceived. So Moses extended his hand toward heaven and there was absolute pitch black darkness throughout the land of Egypt for three days. Folks, this was supernatural darkness. This, this wasn't just God shutting off the lights of the universe. This was a supernatural darkness that God brought upon Egypt. It, it was representation, a representation of the spiritual darkness of that nation, okay? Now, I want to go back to this phrase, the darkness was so thick it could be felt. God certainly wires certain people to be more sensitive to the spiritual world and, and to invisible things. There's no doubt about that. But as a believer in Jesus Christ who has the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, every believer has the capacity and should have the growing capacity to be able to sense and perceive spiritual things that are invisible, including darkness when it's around or somewhere, and even light. And just like here in this church, like me, many of you, when you come to church, you sense the presence of God here. He's not visible, but you know he's here. You feel him, you sense him, you perceive him. That ability is given to us through the Holy Spirit of God, Amen. you see. And, and the more we walk with God and the more we grow with God, the more we can sense and perceive things that we cannot see. And yet they're just as real. I think I've shared with you before that there have been places that I have went in my lifetime that I could sense the darkness, the spiritual darkness that was in certain cities uh, that I flew into. Even while I was on the plane flying into the city, I began to sense and feel the darkness in that place. Or maybe there was a place in somewhere. I've been in homes where I've walked into a home and I have sensed spiritual darkness in that home, just like I can walk into a home and sense spiritual light in that home, you see. And God wants all of us to be able to have that ability. And so I just want to encourage you to continue to walk with the Lord and ask him to give you a greater sense and perception and discernment of both the light and the darkness, you see. Because there is such a thing as invisible things, if you will, that actually can be sensed or perceived or felt, just like darkness can. No one, verse 23, 
could see another person. I mean, that's dark. And no one could rise from his place for three days because they couldn't, they couldn't see to go anywhere. They were afraid they'd trip over something or run into something or whatever. It was that dark. Ah, but notice the contrast. But the Israelites had light in the places where they lived because God distinguished between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And this reminds us that the people of God, Old and New Testament, have light always through their God, and we are to shine in the darkness. Imagine the picture right there. Here's where the Egyptians are, and it is pitch black. They don't move for the three days that this darkness hovers in the land of Egypt because they can't see to go anywhere or do anything. Can you imagine? You wake up in the morning, and it's dark. Two hours later, it's just as dark. Three hours later, it's just as dark. There is no light to do anything, to see anything, to, to, for three days. And yet, over here, there's homes that are lit up with light. I want you to have that picture and keep that picture with you because that's exactly what God wants from us today. We live in a world of darkness. But God wants our lives and our homes to be light that shines in the darkness that we are in. God doesn't tell us he's going to take the darkness away. God tells us, I want you to be light. I want you to be my light. So shine. Let your light shine. Verse 24, Pharaoh then summoned Moses, and once again, he agrees, but he's going to negotiate again. And he says, go serve or worship the Lord. Only your flocks and herds now will be detained. In other words, keep your possessions out of the worship of God. Can't do that as a person of God. You see, what Pharaoh did not understand, and sometimes what we forget, is that when we come to the Lord and we are his, everything we are and everything we have is his. It's all his. And he can direct us to do with it whatever he wants and use it however he wants, but it's not ours, it's his, because it all came from him. Everything. So there's no way that a person of God can say they're worshiping God by presenting themselves but withholding their possessions and resources. It's all God's. It all has to be made available to him. And that's exactly what Moses is pointing out. Can't go without our possessions. It's one of the things we're going to use in our worship of God. Moses said, verse 25, will you also provide us with sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may present them to the Lord our God? Because that's going to be part of our worship. Oh, by the way, note here that even before the tabernacle, even before all of it, they were performing burnt sacrifices. There was blood that was being spilled even pre-law, even before the tabernacle was constructed. And before all of that, they were performing sacrifices with burnt offerings. 
And then Moses had this firm and uncompromising response. Our livestock must also go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind because we're all gone, Pharaoh. We are all going, lock, stock, and barrel. We must take these animals to serve the Lord our God. Until we arrive there, we don't know what we must use to serve or worship the Lord. I love that. A couple things. First of all, Moses here, by his response to Pharaoh, is reminding us God leads his people little by little, one step at a time. That's why throughout the Bible, a lot of times the Bible talks about walking with God. Because that's really what it is. It's one step and then another step. And Moses is saying, even as a leader, I don't know what all that God has planned for us yet. He hasn't shown me yet. You know, I take great comfort in that. Even as a leader, as a pastor, I don't know all that God, I mean, God reveals some things to me because I'm the pastor and he wants me to be able to cast a vision to some degree. But if you think I know every detail of what's going to happen even next month here at the church, forget it. I don't know. I'm just taking God one step at a time. God's like, Jeff, do that. Okay, God, I got that. Now, what's the next thing? That, that's very much how God leads us, always. And so I want to encourage all of you in your life with God. Don't feel like you've got to have it all figured out because it, it, God doesn't work that way. God is little by little, one step at a time. And even Moses says, until we arrive there and get there, we don't know what God has for us until we get there. But right now, here's what I know. God is saying, release my people and let us go and worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to release them. And Pharaoh then made some threats. Go from me, watch out for yourself. Do not appear before me again, for when you see my face, you will die. And Moses said, as you wish, I will not see your face again. Because Moses knew God not only had provided for him, but God was going to protect him. And his confrontations with Pharaoh, he stood before Pharaoh in the confidence and courage that God gave him. And remember something, where this man has come from, this man was a reluctant deliverer. This man wanted no parts of going back to Egypt and leading God's people out of Egypt. He wanted no parts of this leadership position. But God knew what he was doing. God saw Moses' potential. And God sees us the very same way. There may be some of you here, God is beginning to move and work in your life and say, I, I want you to... I want you to consider this. I want you to be open to this. I, I, I want you to, to, to do this. And, and like Moses many times, like, oh, no, God, get somebody else or not me. Because very often we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. God sees what we can become. We only see ourselves for maybe where we are or 
in our failures from the past or even we, we look at ourselves and, and, and all the inadequacies and, and things that, that we carry and that's how we view ourselves and, and God doesn't view us that way. God views us for what we can be through him and boy, that's really gonna come through Sunday in the message. So I hope you'll come back for Sunday's message. God has done amazing things. I mean, you think about just in this chapter, here's the locusts covering the land of Egypt, but no locusts for the Israelites. Here's darkness, so dark for three days, they can't move. And over here, houses lit up. Can you imagine not only what the Egyptians are thinking and feeling at this point, but what the Israelites are thinking and feeling? How amazing is our God? They're suffering with locusts and we're not seeing a one over here. And they, they can't even see in front of them. They can't even see anything. And our houses are lit up like a Christmas tree. What an amazing God. And that's what God wants all of us to see. He wants us to recall and remember and recount the times that he's shown up. He's moved. He's worked. He's done something in our life. And we could all be here for days just giving testimony and witness to how great our God is. And God is doing these things in our lives just as he did in the uh, Israelites' life, not just for our sake but in order that we may tell. I hope throughout this holiday season, we will seize the opportunities to not only just recall the goodness and graciousness and greatness of God in our lives, but that we'll ask God to give us opportunities to tell others about how amazing and incredible our God is. And look, the one cool thing is we get to do it at least twice a week here at the Oasis, if not more than that, you know. As we come together, as we worship him, as we praise him, and then as we interact with each other, we can certainly encourage each other with God stories all the time. Hey, let me tell you about God answering a prayer of mine, you know. I mean, and th that's part of why God wants his people to come together on a continual and regular basis so that we can be encouraged and so that we have opportun opportunities to praise him and proclaim him to others, including our own brothers and sisters. Because let's face it, just because we're a Christian doesn't mean we can't or need to be encouraged. We do. We need to be strengthened too and comforted in all of that too. And so God says, come together, my people. See my greatness and then go and spread the word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the wonderful time you've given us in your house. Yes, God, this is your house. This is not ours. It is only because of you that we have this place. It is only because of you that we have this property. There's a story to tell. It is only because of you, God, that this church exists. 
that you've preserved it all these years, that you have blessed it the way you have, and that, Lord, we are even in the position we are right now. God, thank you. Thank you for all the miracles you've done in and through our church, for the people that you've healed throughout the years that we've been together, for the lives that you've transformed, for the people that you've saved through this ministry. People all around the world, Lord, who've been touched through this ministry. God, it just blows us away. And yet, Lord, it's all because of you. Lord, the wonderful people that you brought here to, for us to be able to minister with and work alongside of and partner with. God, it's all because of you. And there's a story in each and every one. And so, Lord, may we never tire of telling your stories, of telling, Lord, how great you are. And God, as you reminded us tonight, it really starts in our own personal life and then in our homes and then in our church and then out into our community and eventually out into the world. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be the case with us that, Lord, every day we wake up remembering how blessed we are and that, Lord, we can't contain that blessing. We've got to tell our family and then we've got to tell our church family and then we've got to tell people in the community and then eventually we've got to tell the whole world because, Lord, you are amazing and, Lord, we want to magnify you in all that you are and in all that you do. Thank you, God for what a wonderful God you are. May we praise you for all of eternity, God. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.